0: Welcome to The Big Unlock, where we discuss data, analytics, and emerging technologies in healthcare. Here's some of the most innovative thinkers in healthcare information technology talk about the digital transformation of healthcare and how they are driving change in their organizations. Hello, everyone. uh, This is Patty. It's my real pleasure to have on this podcast. Uh, My very special guest, Neil Singh, uh, CEO of Caradhyme.
1: Neil, welcome. Thank you, Patty. I appreciate the honor to attend your podcast and happy to answer any questions today.
0: Wonderful, wonderful. Let's start with this. For the benefit of our listeners, tell us a bit about Caradhyme and what problem Caradhyme solves for healthcare today.
1: Sure. So, Paradigm Patty was set up in 2012 as a joint venture between G, uh, between Microsoft and GE, and and from day one, you know, we have been uh, set up as a population health uh, software company, and that continues to be our strategy and focus. Our key differentiator uh, is that we provide a, a tightly end-to-end, inter- highly integrated uh, enterprise population health portfolio of applications. Uh, both with uh, handling data analytics as well as care coordination Uh, specifically in the context of data we offer real-time data analytics uh, and and in terms of uh, you know getting data in from multiple systems in a real-time basis and taking action on it versus just doing traditional ETL mechanisms to get data once a month or once a quarter Uh, and the other differentiator that we have is we actually Uh, get data across multiple uh, spectrums of healthcare, so uh, be it clinical, claims, financial, and now we have even extended deeper into social determinants of health. And uh, what we have found historically is many vendors just focus on just clinical or just claims. And I think having the superset really allows our customers to get a significant leg up in, in terms of being able to uh, help our patients move towards uh, the population health goals. Specifically in the context of social determinants of health, you know we recognize the importance and value uh, in the context of social, economic, and environmental factors, which determine about 50% of the overall health of the patient. And at least 25 cents of every healthcare dollar is being now spent in treatment of conditions resulting from potentially changeable behaviors. Um, an example, for example, zip code has a, is a strong predictor on a person's health uh, uh, than even their genetic code in some cases. Right. And uh, the National Quality Forum, CDC, and WHO uh, all acknowledge the importance of uh, social determinants of health.
0: Right, right, right. I'm going to come back to the different data types and the emerging data types in a minute. But uh, you, you know, you defined you, you define Caridime as a population health management company how has the definition of population health management changed over the last couple of years or has it changed at all?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think the, um, uh, you know, in fact I would say it's not changed, but it's solidified is probably the word to use. Uh, what we have seen specifically is that, you know, we work uh, very closely in conjunction with class research and class research has defined, Um, A definition of population health management, which is the process of proactively monitoring and caring for uh, defined patient groups. I think, furthermore, drawing on healthcare organizations and their leading pop health vendors, we have participated with them as well, and uh, they they have assembled a framework. And this framework really has seven core aspects of capabilities, which is aggregation, analysis, care coordination and health improvement. Administrative and financial, patient engagement, and clinician engagement. So these are the core seven areas they've are defined on a framework. Right. I think right. we've have, given we have tried to simplify it down to kind of I would say three core capabilities, which is uh, if you want to do effective population management, you really got to focus on data control, on the healthcare analytics, and care coordination and engagement uh, to deliver solutions in these category of uh, of of, um, of applications in the population health space. <clears throat>
0: right right so uh so it, it sounds like population health management uh, as you define it or as you stated it uh, the definition has solidified so uh, people have a better understanding and there is some common framework that people are applying to define population health management and so there's a common language in the marketplace that is emerging which was not the case uh, a couple of years ago you know people meant, you know they meant different things when they said uh, population health management so, you know, obviously the the data sources you refer to some of them, and it's key to population health management to develop a holistic view of patients. And you rightly mentioned social determinants uh, of health, you know, zip code, yeah. uh, as an as an example as uh, one of the strongest predictors of uh, health and wellness uh, among populations. So, you know, the data sources are emerging. They are. are uh, uh, kind of in structured and unstructured formats and they're they look a lot different from your standard structured electronic health records you know you're talking about social determinants you're talking about uh, IoT data you're talking about genomics data all kinds of data sources what do you see are the biggest challenges the industry is going to have to overcome in being able to harness uh, all of this data to generate the kind of insights you need to effectively be a population health management company, or effectively manage population health if you're a health system.
1: Uh, that's an excellent question. I think uh, there there are a few pieces. Number one is you you need to have systems, infrastructure, and capability to be able to aggregate, you know, the growing set of data pieces, right? Whether it is you know, like I mentioned earlier, you know, there's, there's the clinical claims, financial, expanding to social determinants of health you mentioned genomics and IoT, I think we will continue to see data sources increase at even a much faster accelerating pace. So you need a system that can scale and and, and take in different data types. Um, and, and that, I think, is one key aspect of uh, what you need in any platform uh, to be able to move forward and provide uh, population health management. Uh, the second piece is as these uh, as these different data sources keep coming in, how do you start not just aggregating the data, but how do you pull that data in and and make that available throughout your entire application set, so uh, so that you can start reaping the benefits uh, in a very seamless manner. So I think those two pieces are combined at the at the, at the meta level uh, important aspects of how do you basically deal with data. Then getting to the next part of the question, which is you know how do you how, how do we think about these different uh, sources of data? For example, you mentioned genomics. I think genomics is 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 early on. Uh, it, it's a key part of uh, uh, you know precision health in terms of where precision health will end up with, and and I see basically more of population health, uh, you know, uh, morphing into basically aspects of precision health over a longer period of time. But I think right now genomics is uh, is. Commercially uh, not viable. It's basically still a very expensive um, um, uh, tool. And I think as that as, as the prices come down, as the applicability comes up becomes more um, widely usable, I think it will become a key part of data, just as what we're talking about today in the case of social determinants of health. Um, you know, uh, beyond the few data points I mentioned earlier on social determinants of health, what we're doing is, you know, uh, we have we have taken a much more broader Approach to social determinants, for example, you know, uh, like many uh, many application providers, what they do is they take they ask a few questions and they display the answers as social determinants of health. I think that's very much at the periphery level. It's it's a good marketing message, but it doesn't really add any value. So what we're doing is really upping the game in terms of taking these large data sets uh, and and pulling them into our system, uh, normalizing them, and then morphing them in terms of different application scenarios. So for example, when we do stratification of risk, meaning we're trying to figure out out of these, you know, millions of patients, which ones the the provider should focus on, we basically, uh, we we build our algorithms which are driven with AI now as a mix to really drive towards, you know, patients who have a higher uh, socioeconomic risk profile. We use social determinants of health to help drive a risk stratification you know, before we start making actions in terms of the clinical side of the equation. In care management, we are trying to understand the socioeconomic profile of a patient before engaging with them. We are tailoring tailoring the goals and intervention for their care of plans uh, based on data that drives uh, through the social determinants of health. In quality improvement, we are identifying potential barriers to closing gaps, example, transportation gaps. You know, somebody doesn't have transportation access, uh, how do you? How will they be able to close the gap in care? And uh, and of course, knowledge hub basically providing insight to providers about their patients through um, uh, through the gathering of this data. So I think there are many aspects, even some other aspects that come into play, like identifying communities who need a particular resource for, um, or basically a community health worker who wants to provide home visits to care managers, and 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 and, and location and dialysis facilities as to where their availability is. So there are, there are lots of things that we can do with social data, but the main point is how do we make that available seamlessly in the applications as part of the workflow versus the care manager or care coordinator, has, coordinator having to figure out, hey, here's some social data. Let me try to figure out how to integrate that into my uh, day-to-day life.
0: Right, right. Well, when we talk about all these new and emerging data sources, uh, we have to talk about uh, two things. One is the I word, <laughs> interoperability, yeah. right? How, yeah. how are we going to solve that? So that's one. And then the other thing you already touched upon this this whole notion of, you know, marketing message versus real substance to what you're doing. And in that context, you know, AI, I mean, everybody is talking AI. I know these are slightly unrelated, but I would like you to, you know, touch upon this, you know, are we going to, are we going to see an interoperability solution? I mean, is fire going to be the solution? What is the solution? And and how are you approaching it? And then tell me a little bit about what you think of AI? You know, is it hype? Is it real? You know, what are you guys doing?
1: No, sure. I I think that's an excellent question, uh, especially given the conversations happening today in the market around both these topics. So I think from a uh, from a, from a paradigm perspective we welcome advances in improving interoperability amongst different systems uh you know okay. we know that certain mr vendors have been hesitant in sharing data and new protocols like fire and uh, you know, help break down those barriers uh, i think that should lead towards more comprehensive patient records improve communication and ultimately improve patient outcomes now while fire can provide benefit it's better utilized towards what i would Uh, quantify as low to medium volume transactions Uh, and uh, when it comes to high volume bulk transfers of you know uh, uh, megabytes of data which we do very regularly for large population of our providers I think you still have to still resort today to the traditional web services and ETL mechanisms uh, uh, to drive uh, yeah, to drive larger volume, and I think the other portion is I think I love the fact that and Apple uh, has now you know uh, made fire an interface uh, for individual patient records, and I think that's a perfect example of how 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 companies like Apple are going to help drive the ecosystem forward on interoperability, um, and that portion of course still focuses on an individual patient getting access to the record from a set of providers who basically agree to partner with Apple. I hope that that ecosystem continues to grow because I think it's super important for uh, for healthcare transparency and even wellness that patients have access to all their records seamlessly. And I think that that would be a great outcome for patients. <coughs> now, yeah, getting, so into so the, AI, yeah. Yeah, getting into the AI piece, you know, uh, it's, a, it's a very good question in terms of is it hype or reality i think you know ai is one of the next key advances in healthcare i think you know uh, a solution that incorporates machine learning deep learning uh, can provide you know better analytics to an organization uh, i think it's moving from what i would say being hype to now showing pro- early promise of delivery what we are doing specifically before i kind of deep dive into that piece is you know what we're doing specifically we have we have taken an approach to AI which which is different than a lot of the you know healthcare startups that are trying to formulate algorithms around ai or or even make statements around AI I think many ai vendors position themselves as the AI company or uh, the product that you have to buy uh, or the thing that you have to buy and then figure out how to work with your i t organization to enable uh, with new workflow. Uh, I think we are taking an approach that uh, you know AI needs to be you know seamlessly infused throughout our system. It needs to be ambiently embedded across our application workflows. And customers should not have to do anything special to buy or enable AI in order to reap the benefits or even know the existence of AI for that matter. I think Keep it is uh,
0: uh, in other words. Absolutely,
1: yeah. absolutely I mean yeah, and that, that's where and, and really we need to focus on not AI as a technology, but in terms of what outcomes and ROI we can reap for our customers. I think that's, uh, that's really where we are focusing in terms of our investments and in terms of, uh, in terms of our outcomes. Um, that so, is so well so, said, uh, Neil. That is
0: so yes. well said because I think a few years back we had the same thing with big data, right? Although big data was the solution or, you know, was the be all and end all. But we've seen that over yeah. time, you know, it's, it just permeates through an entire analytics infrastructure, and it's no longer uh, visible. It's invisible to the point of it seamlessly being incorporated into all advanced uh, uh, technology solutions. Right? Would that be a fair statement?
1: Yeah, I, I would agree. I think you, you you said it, articulated it extremely well. That's exactly what we are. We would love to see. Right. And, right. Uh, and so what oh, we're doing is, you know. We have been investing, we have got a partnership at Microsoft, uh, we're in fact doing a pretty big launch around uh, you know, intelligent population health, as we call it, how do we bring AI into population health. Uh, so there will be a pretty big launch happening next week at HIMSS uh, around, uh, around what we're doing in AI and specifically in terms of what scenarios we are enabling within the workflow. So whether it's bringing intelligence into how we stratify the population of patients or bringing intelligence into how care coordination assessment workflows uh, uh, become smarter and better. so you know we have we have we have basically enabled AI in our system we don't plan to charge customers for AI we plan to basically deliver differentiating value proposition where AI make our systems significantly smarter for our customers and drive significant value for them in these workflows and to be honest we are early on I think the industry is early on. But more importantly, what we're doing is we've become very, I would say, very thoughtful about working with real customers and real data to identify real outcomes. I think that's important because sitting in a computer lab building AI is an interesting technology experiment, but what we are doing is we are working with real customers and then enabling these as part of the workflow so that the next customer basically gets the benefit of that enablement without either having to pay for it or even knowing uh, that it exists in the system.
0: Awesome, awesome. I I just love that whole uh, position that you stated. I think uh, that is so important for uh, your uh, customers and also your your competitors and peers in the industry to understand ultimately it is about what it does. It's not a be all and end all in itself. That's wonderful. Uh, you know, for, you you were uh, uh, you were one of the contributors to my recent book, uh, The Big Unlock, and uh, once again, I must thank you for taking the time for uh, speaking with me and providing me with the inputs. So there was one thing that you had said uh, there that stuck with me. You had said that health systems are going to find it increasingly hard to live by the rule that they will operate within a single EHR system. For the benefit of our Listeners and for for my own benefit, I'd like to hear you say it sure. again. What should health systems be doing? Those who are locked into yep. a single EHR, what you know, what's the way forward for them?
1: And uh, that's a good question. So the, the the concept and notion of a single EHR, I think there are there are certain hospital systems that are locked into a single EHR, but uh, you know, as as even single EHR hospitals, you know, are 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 now rethinking that strategy because as a lot of M&A activity activities happening it's nearly impossible to keep buying hospital systems and then trying to spend a large chunk of uh, you know it dollars and just bringing people into a single ehr system but i think what's made it even more uh, 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 i would say harder to think about everything sitting in one ehr is this notion around accountable care or around clinically integrated networks and so, you know, if you're, if you're taking on an accountable care contract, especially as part of that accountable care contract, whether it's a commercial or a federal contract, you know, you, you may have to provide care with other organizations, and they basically may not be in the same EMR system, and, um, and they may not even be of your size in terms of, you know, if you're a large enterprise player partnering with another enterprise player or partnering with smaller clinics, Right, you can't have the same EMR everywhere, or even try to say that. Look, we can't provide care until all the systems get on one EMR, which can take many, many years. So, really, I think in that world, if you want to be successful in this new payment reform model of value-based care, I think you have to really think about how can you operate in a in a in a environment with multiple systems, uh, whether they are EMR, whether they are claim systems, whether they are financial systems, whether they are social data systems, I think you really have to live within this world. So you really need a system that can actually help you a, cross the boundaries of data, but also more importantly, cross the boundaries of your enterprise organization and be able to scale to that level of getting data seamlessly. So that really what you can do is say I can provide care. I'll give you an example. You know, let's say, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm providing care for a patient and I'm a care manager and uh, you know, um, one of the things I'm trying to basically do is make sure that I can provide the maximum amount of high-quality care for the patient outside the hospital so they can do the right things from a wellness and care um, and prescription perspective to take care of their care. But then my patient basically uh, shows up in an ER system uh, for some medical situation, you know, and and if that ER system sits outside my EHR, then basically I would never know that happened but if you're in this uh, cross-enterprise data scenario, in our system, what we do is we alert the care manager, hey, your patient showed up in this ER today, and no matter what EMR system was there, and then what happens is they can follow up with that patient later on during the day to find out what happened, why did they have to go to ER. Again, this is how you can prevent uh, a lot of unnecessary ER consumption, which is very expensive, right? So that's an example of how you really have to think across uh, one EMR and across one data source. Mm
0: -hmm. Very interesting, very interesting. So, uh, you know, uh, you mentioned value-based care, right? uh, So we know the industry is shifting towards value-based care, but uh, maybe it's not happening as quickly uh, Mm -hmm. or as rapidly as as we would like it. Uh, Still a lot of fee-for-service arrangements out there. But can you talk a little bit about what you see in the current policy environment and uh, especially as it relates to the shift towards value based care? What does it mean? What are the implications for your business and where do you see it headed? I
1: think that's an excellent question. I think, uh, you know, despite the uncertainty at the federal level, uh, I think the shift to value based care has not stopped. I mean, it's continuing to move in that direction because ultimately. The move towards value-based care is really around basics and uh, and principles of economics, right? Uh, you have to really kind of you can't continue in a world where you 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 basically are not focused on outcome-driven payment systems and continuing to increase healthcare costs along the way. Um, you know, I think people are moving past the uncertainty uh, <clears throat> and, and 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 even um, even the changes. We're seeing two major shifts. One is more emphasis from the private sector side, health plans and employers in particular. And secondly, we are seeing an increase in breadth and diversity of value-based care programs. For example, M A A P, you know, bundle payments uh, and 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 the likes of that. So I think that portion will will continue to become more and more uh, prevalent, But then also, I think. Uh, the federal side, we are seeing more movement from voluntary, uh, from, from mandatory to voluntary programs. So I think they will continue to be growth. Uh, and But I think especially in 2018, we have seen the shift, you know, while 2017, especially the second half seemed to have stalled, we're seeing a significant acceleration happening now in 2018. And uh, uh, that, that, and, and that's purely based on what we are seeing from a commercial pipeline. And a sell-through perspective. Uh, the other portion, I think, is uh, that uh, that you know, uh, I think organizations see an opportunity to become competitive uh, in a market where uh, uh, where their competitors may not be moving as fast. So so while we'll see lawmakers continue to battle it out, I think we face one fact that value-based care is here to stay. Providers will basically, you know, push forward with what we call as the no regress strategy, which means provide prioritizing efforts to drive more consistent, efficient, and coordinated care, integrating the IT systems to support accurately forecasting patient risk, uh, lowering uh, cost structures, and building deeper relationships and loyalty with their patients. And that, I think that no-regret strategy will help you no matter whether you're in fee-for-service or value-based care.
0: No-regret strategy. I like that term. Okay, last question uh, for you. What are you, what are your twenty eighteen priorities uh,
1: for Caroline? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, we have we 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 are focusing on uh, on several things. I think the the, the 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 main thing that we are trying to do is uh, we're trying to focus heavily on what I would say is rapid time to value, and 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 what we mean by rapid time to value is how can our customers get. You know time to value very quickly for our system so when we deploy systems how quickly can we have our systems go live but live is just a milestone how quickly can our systems be adopted is more important and then more importantly what is the outcome and ROI our customers are achieving so we we focus now very heavily on on that time to value equation so it, it, it used to be TCO in the old world of total cost of ownership at, at our company level, across the board, every single employee in the company is focused around customer outcomes and driving time uh, as a key factor in terms of getting those outcomes for them um, in, in a very rapid way. And then the second piece in that same notion of time to value is, you know, we have traditionally focused on enterprise customers with uh, uh, with, with fully integrated systems that have a single platform and we're able to service applications on a single platform to drive time to value for our enterprise customers we have now uh, you know launched out solutions that are very quickly adoptable with pre-packaged solutions that you know smaller mid to small acs can adopt and get rapid time to value uh, literally we're talking about you know go live that can happen within 30 days of signing a contract um and, and 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 that i think is very significant and very fast which is kind of unheard of in the healthcare industry uh, in terms of how we can drive fast value for our customers. The third piece really is around, I think we have to continue to focus on uh, on innovation, but the way we are thinking about innovation is very rapid. So, you know, we have a deep technology partnership with Microsoft, you know, A, primarily because of, you know, our, our roots uh, back to right. the joint venture with Microsoft where uh, you know, half the company came out of, but also in terms of really, uh, you know, taking advantage of the deep, talent that Microsoft has, so for example, Microsoft has made some very significant investments around uh, visual analytics. So we are now, we're going to launch what I call as Power BI for Healthcare, which is basically how can healthcare organizations get you know, fast time to value around self-service analytics uh, without having to know the understanding about how to do plumbing and hosting and, 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 and taking care of security and HIPAA compliance in a very seamless manner. So I think that's where we've kind of put together uh, with Microsoft's help uh, in, in building out uh, the Caradine Visual Analytics solution. Mm-hmm. AI is a good example where we're using Microsoft technology. Again, not a standalone as the thing that you buy versus as a seamlessly integrated capability throughout the entire workflow. And then, you know, the social determinants of health. I think we'll, we are doing some really cool and interesting stuff. And in all these areas, while we have done a lot of technology platforms, when we're enabling use cases that we're launching at Hims, many of them as customers, I think over the next 12 months you will see uh, us creating a very significant volume, uh, especially in these three areas, for having customer uh, value-oriented uh, solutions delivered uh, to the market.
0: Awesome. So, in one short sentence, would you say the mantra for this year is customer success?
1: Absolutely.
0: You nailed it. Oh, fantastic. Neil, it's been a real pleasure speaking with you, as always. And thank <laughs> you for your time. And Have a wonderful Hems. Look forward to seeing you there.
1: Thank you, Patty. You have a good one, too. I look forward to seeing you there as well.
0: We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Subscribe to our podcast series at www.thebigunlock.com and write to us at info at